Have you ever tried to explain something to somebody over and over again and they just couldn't seem to grasp the concept? No matter how many times you try to explain it, they just, they don't seem to get it. Yeah, that's right. I'm pretty sure that my, uh, my ninth grade geometry teacher felt that way about me. Uh, just for some reason, I just could not seem to grasp these concepts of geometry, no matter how many different ways he tried to explain it to me. I just had trouble understanding the concept. Now, I tend to think that math and shapes don't go together, but that's beside the point. Uh, maybe you've experienced that with uh, maybe a child trying to explain something to a child and they just don't seem to get it. You've told them over and over again and yet they still do what you told them not to do. Uh, if you were a teacher, maybe you experienced that with a student. You, they just couldn't understand you or a, a coworker or an employee. As I read the stories about Jesus, especially the one we're going to look at today, I can't help but think that sometimes Jesus felt that way with his disciples. That he would te teach them something, and he would teach them something, he would demonstrate something, and they still don't seem to grasp the concept. Uh, as a little bit of a review, we are looking at the, the final events and the final hours in Jesus' life. We're looking at uh, how he responded when he was betrayed, how he was abandoned, how he was uh, tortured, how he was mocked, how he was crucified. And the reason that we're doing this is because in this series we're asking ourselves, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And as I've told you time and time again, to, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. To be a Christian is to become like Christ. And so we want to know what Christ was like. And, and we know that as we sojourn in this life for any period of time, we're going to experience hard times. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we escape suffering. It doesn't mean that we escape difficult times. It doesn't mean that life is always rosy. As a matter of fact, some of Jesus' closest followers told us later in life that the longer we follow Jesus, we're going to experience some of the sufferings that he experienced. And so we want to ask ourselves, how do we respond when things get tough? We know that it's easy to do what's right when things are easy. It's easy to love when love is easy. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he did what was right even when things got hard. And he loved even when love was tough. And we want to learn to be like that. So we're, we're looking at Jesus in these final hours. Last week we looked at Jesus as he was gathered together with his closest followers for their final meal. Where... We're spending some time looking at these final messages that Jesus leaves with his followers because we know that as a person is coming to the end of their life, what they have to say carries extra significance. It carries extra weight. If you knew that you were going to be passing away soon and you gathered together with the people who were closest to you, you would want to share with them some things that, that were closest to your heart, some things that, that would help carry them through when you were gone. And that's what we see Jesus doing with his closest disciples. So today we're going to look at another interaction that Jesus has with his followers, and we're going to uh, see how, they, how he teaches them, even in these final moments, what is going to be a part of uh, living for him in the future. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, as usual, I'll put the text up here on the screen, you can follow along. This, is, this happens immediately after Jesus uh, had this final meal with his disciples. Here's how Luke tells us the story. Luke says, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So Jesus had just spent this meal with them. He'd poured out his heart. He's explained that, that this meal carries significance. He's infused the bread and the wine with 
deep meaning, with deep significance. He's gathered together. He's let them know that he's not going to be with them much longer. And these are some things that they can do to remember him when he's gone. This, this beautiful, intimate moment together. And then as soon as it's done, it seems the disciples go back to bickering with one another. Uh, having a dispute over which one is going to be greatest now that he's gone. And at this point, I can just imagine Jesus doing something like this. <sighs> right? You've probably done that. You've probably done that with somebody who just doesn't seem to grasp what you're trying to get. I can just imagine Jesus going, <sighs> guys, 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 guys. Because over and over again, he had taught them that the kingdom of God takes the ways of the world and he flips them upside down. Uh, And yet here they are once again arguing about who is going to be greatest, just missing the point. Now, it's easy for us as we read these stories to look at the disciples and their mishaps and their, their blunders and to sort of look at them and point at them and say, oh, that's funny, look at those silly disciples and how often they, they miss the point. And yet, if we're honest, when we read the disciples and the stories of Jesus, we realize that that we're a lot more like them than maybe we want to admit. That the, that the disciples in the story are, are sort of there to help us see ourselves and our own shortcomings. And, you know, so if we're honest, if we ask ourselves, how often do we do the same thing? How often do we try to take the ways of the world and just put a, a shiny Christian veneer over it and sort of Christianize the ways of the world just a little bit instead of following the example of Jesus and flipping them upside down? How often do we vie for position? How often do we vie for power? How often do we fight over authority and recognition and notoriety and influence instead of serving one another? How often have churches split because people were fighting for control and were fighting for power and were fighting for influence? We look at the disciples and fighting over this, we realize that 2,000 years later, we're not necessarily all that different, are we? We look at the stories of Jesus and we realize that maybe... Maybe we don't get the message quite as well either. And so the thing that I love about this is Jesus, Luke tells us his response. Jesus said to them, how many times do I have to explain this to you? You're never going to get it. I'm just going to start over with a whole new group of people. Oh, you guys know better than that. That's not what the Bible says. No, Jesus, this is the thing that I love about Jesus. Even in the midst of this time, when he knows he's going to be experiencing suffering, when he knows that he's going to be arrested and betrayed and mocked and crucified, he doesn't give up. Even when they don't get it for the hundredth time, he takes the time to lovingly and patiently explain it to them again. You know what? I want to be like that. I'm not like that. You can just ask my wife. She's, she's in the back room with our daughter. I'm not like that. I'm not always the most patient when I'm stressed. I'm not always the most patient when things are tough, but I want to be like that. And as I, as I read the stories of Jesus, as I remember that I've been given the Spirit of Christ, I, I want to be like that. I want Christ to be formed in me so that even when things are tough, I can respond with grace and understanding and patience and love like Jesus did. Here's what he actually said. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, And those who exercise authority call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. You are not to be like that. Pretty clear, isn't it? He doesn't give a whole lot of wiggle room. He doesn't say, it's okay if you're like that as long as you're a little nicer about it. Right? He doesn't say, it's okay to be like that as long as you call it Christian and put a cross on it. Does he? 
No, he says, you are not to be like that. He says, this is the way that leadership happens. This is the way that greatness happens in the kingdom of the world. And I don't want you to have anything to do with it. He says, they lord it over them. They, they want to bring status and recognition to themselves and lord it over people. And they call this greatness not with you. Not in the kingdom of God. That's not how we do things in the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on. Uh, Here's the translation. Greatness in the kingdom of God doesn't look like greatness in the kingdom of the world. Right? And, And we need to get that straight. Because so often we tend to take the ways of the world and we tend to just Christian them up a little bit. We tend to put a little Christian veneer on them and, and then say that it's, it's good and it's holy. When Jesus comes, not to, not to dress up the ways of the world, make it look a little bit more attractive, but to flip it on its head. Jesus says that greatness in the kingdom of, the God, in the kingdom of God doesn't look anything like greatness in the kingdom of the world. The story goes on. Jesus says, instead... Instead of greatness looking like it does in the kingdom of the world, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of God, greatness is going to look like the opposite of what it looks like in the kingdom of the world. In the world, greatness looks like power and status and notoriety and influence and fame and everybody serving you. He says, in the kingdom of God, greatness looks like you serving other people. It looks like you serving other people. He goes on to say, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Jesus asks a question. And everybody knows the answer to this question, right? Who's greater, the one who's being served or the one who's serving? Everybody knows the answer. The one who's being served. The one who sits at the table with servants around him is the one who's greater. Everybody knows that, right? You, can, you walk into any boardroom in America and you can tell who's the most powerful person by the by their place at the table, by the seat that they sit in, by the size of their desk. We can tell who's the greatest in the world just by looking around um, and seeing where they sit. Everybody knows that the greater one is the one who sits at the table and the one who serves is lowly, right? Everybody knows this. The problem is we can see this in the world, but we can see this in the church too. In too many churches, is, is it the exact same way? And we go through all sorts of sort of rationalizations to explain why it's okay that we do the leadership and greatness the same way. You know, the church that uh, I grew up in, uh, when we would all get together to eat, the leaders of the church would set aside by themselves what was called the head table. The head table. And they would actually have somebody come and serve them. The leaders of the church would sit aside and they would have somebody come and serve them. And, and this makes sense in the world, right? This is right in line with the kingdoms of the world. And yet it's so backwards according to the kingdom of God. And there was all sorts of spiritual rationalization for it. Oh, you know, we're the ones who serve by teaching and by leading. And so we need a break and we need to be served. And it's just, it's so backwards. We, can, we are so good at rationalizing away a Christian veneer over the kingdom of the world. And Jesus came to flip it upside down. Jesus answers this question. He says, is it not the one who sits at the table? In other words, he, he says, everybody knows that the one who sits at the table is the one who's greater, but I am among you as one who serves. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, everybody knows that in the systems of the world, the one who is served is better than the one who serves, and yet me who he has related himself to them as, his, as their master, as their Lord, as the Messiah. He says, I came as one who, what? Serves. 
I came as one who serves. Now, Luke doesn't include this in his story. But right before this, John tells us that Jesus had given them an unforgettable example of what this looks like. And so we're going to step out of the Gospel of Luke for just a minute and step into the Gospel of John. John chapter 13. And we're going to look at this example that Jesus just gave them to illustrate what greatness in the kingdom of God really looks like. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 2. This is what John tells us. The evening meal was in progress. Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel under his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, even in 21st century Western culture, we understand what an act of service this was, but I don't think we understand the depth of what it was that Jesus did here. In the first century, people walked just about everywhere. And as they, most of them, you know, they didn't have closed-toed shoes. Most of them wore some sort of sandals if they were wearing anything at all. And as they walked on the dusty streets, they didn't have paved roads like we do today. They didn't have cars that they could get in and drive from point A to point B. They walked just about everywhere they went. And the roads that they walked on, they often shared with animals, donkeys and other animals and beasts of burden. And now, if you've been around uh, animals uh, for any length of time, if you've seen them walking, in case you didn't know this, animals don't stop and they don't go to restrooms to use the restroom, Right? When animals are walking down the street, they tend to just do their business as they do their business, right? As they're doing their business, they do their business on the ground. And so as you're walking, as you go from place to place, it's very likely that when you get to your destination, you're going to have some stuff on your feet, dust and otherwise. Okay? You, You get where I'm going with this. So often when you would visit someone's house, when you would go to someone's house, they would set up a a basin with a pitcher and a towel so that you could wash your feet. It was as much for you probably as it was for them, right? So you're not tracking that into the house, but so that you don't have to have that on your feet. And so in most places, they would just have that set up so you would do it for yourself. Now sometimes that job was reserved for the lowest servant on the totem pole, right? Because it's dirty and it's stinky, and it's gross, and so they would reserve that task for the lowest servant in the household to wash the feet of the guests. And yet here, we have Jesus, who is taking this action himself for his disciples, for his followers. You can just imagine their their reaction as they see the, the one who's supposed to be their leader kneeling down and washing their dirty, stinky feet. The story goes on. Jesus asks them, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. To which they probably responded, nope. Not even a little bit, Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. You're supposed to be our leader, and yet here you are on your knees washing our feet. We don't get it. Jesus goes on to explain. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, Jesus is giving them a mind picture that they'll never forget about what leadership in the kingdom of God really looks like. And it looks like getting down on your knees and washing some stinky feet. 
It means taking the, the lowest task and doing it with love. It means serving your neighbor in love. This is what Jesus is telling his, his followers means to be great in the kingdom of God. And yet, we go back to Luke, and it looks like just ten minutes later, they, they still don't seem to get it. They're still fighting over what it means, who's going to be the greatest, who's going to have the position of highest authority. And you just got Jesus saying, guys, come on. I just knelt down. I just washed your stinking feet. What is it going to take for you guys to understand that in the kingdom of God, greatness looks different? Greatness isn't defined by your position it's not defined by your authority. It's not defined, de- defined by your fame. It's not defined by how many followers you have or how many servants you have or how much money you have. Your greatness will be defined by how well you serve. I have set you an example. Je- and what Jesus is saying, listen, if I am your Lord and Master and I've done this for you, then you ought to do that for one another because you're not each other's master, right? If your master has done this for you, then you ought to do this for one another. This is what love looks like in the kingdom of God. This is what service and greatness looks like. Greatness and service go hand in hand in the kingdom of God. So we're going to jump back to Luke chapter 22 again and we're going to see how Jesus closes this out. Jesus says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. In other words, you... You should have known this. I've demonstrated this for you time and time again. And he goes on, he says, listen, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me. He's saying, guys, listen, this is serious stuff. I'm about to turn over the keys to the kingdom to you. I'm about to depart from this earth for a while. I'm entrusting you with the mission that I began. I need you to understand this. This is paramount. He says, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In other words, Jesus is about to set them loose to carry out the mission that he began. And they're going to be the new leaders of this movement. And so he's trying to take this final opportunity to help them understand what leadership in the kingdom of God really looks like. Even though he knows he's headed for an excruciating experience of arrest and torture and unjust trial and eventual crucifixion and death, he's focused on others. And he's giving to others and he he wants them to understand this is what it means. It's so important to him that his followers get greatness before he leaves that despite the fact that he himself is going to suffer, he's not focused on himself, he's focused on others. Giving them once again an example of what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like. So here's the bottom line. If you want to be great, learn to serve. If you want to be great, grab a towel. If you want to be great, grab a basin. If you want to be great, wash some stinking feet. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, serve other people. So what does this mean for us? It means that if we're, if we're Christian bosses, right? If, if we're a boss, we should treat our employees better than any non-Christian boss treats their employees. We should serve the people that work for us. We should serve the people that we're partnered with. It means that if we serve in leadership on a church border or in any capacity, that we should use that, that position not to gain influence or notoriety for ourselves, but to serve other people, to help the people that, that don't have the same access. 
Those of us who find ourselves in leadership positions in any sphere of influence, instead of taking the ways of the world and just putting, you know, and being nicer about it, we need to flip it on its head and realize that if we've been entrusted with a leadership position, we've been do- given that trust so that we can help other people, so that we can serve. So wherever you find yourself, whatever leadership position you find yourself, recognize that it's not the way of the world. It's not about you getting served. It's not about your name getting out there. And trust me, this is, this is just as prevalent in the Christian world as it is anywhere else, right? You can probably think of prominent Christian people who, who don't live the way that Jesus talks about, who, who bring f- fame to themselves, who serve by personal ambition. I'm tempted with this, right? I, I often think about, oh, how great would it be to have a, a, a bigger platform, right? How great would it be to have a nationally recognized name? And, and, and we're, we can be so good at, at twisting and say, but I could use it for good. Right? And we can, we can talk ourselves into it, right? If, if we're not careful, we can talk ourselves into selfish desires by, by pretending like we want it for good. And so this is, this is intended for us to be a heart check, right? The disciples represent us. If it was so easy for them, who literally followed Jesus around day and night for up to three years, if they could miss the point so easily, this is supposed to be a heart check for us. How often do we miss the point? How often do we take the ways of the world and just dress it up in Christian clothing? Just put a little cross on it and say, well, it's Christian now, instead of taking the ways of the world and flipping them upside down. If we want to be great, we learn to serve. If we want to be great, we grab a towel and a basin and we wash some feet. If we want to be great, we use what we've been given, our money, our time, our resources, our talents, our gifts, and we use them to serve the world, to serve the very people that Jesus came to die for. When we look at Jesus, in in his toughest moments, he was still focused on other people. That's tough love, right? It's it's easy for us to focus on other people when everything is going well for us, but, but can we do that when things are going badly for us? Can we do that when we don't think that we have enough money? Can we do that even when we have a, a, you know, a sickness or an illness? Can we do that even if we don't have a job at the moment? Can we still, when things are tough, focus on serving others? I believe that we can. I believe that Jesus' followers told, told us that we've been given the Spirit of Christ. That Jesus himself told us that the, the things that I do, you'll be able to do also. We can, we can look at Jesus and we can say, oh my goodness, look at the things that he did, how wonderful and marvelous, and we should. But then we should remember that we've been given the same spirit. And we're called to be imitators of Christ in what we do. And if he came, if the Lord of the universe came in the form of a servant, how should we lead? in our spheres of influence. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. If you see me as, as your pastor, if you see me start to develop an attitude of superiority and say, oh, well, that's beneath me as the pastor, as a religious leader, I want you to just, just hand me a towel in a basin and take off your shoes. All right, give me a reminder that this is what I've come to do. And I'll do the same for you as we start to think about things. And we need to remind one another because it's so easy It's so easy for us to get distracted and to think that if we just put a cross on it, if we just call it Christian, then it it fits within Jesus' paradigm. But we need to remember that when Jesus came, he took everything that they thought they knew and flipped it on its head, not least greatness. Greatness in the kingdom of God is defined by how 
well we serve. If you want to be great, learn to serve. Father, we confess that it is easy for us to miss the point. We're surrounded by a world that tells us that greatness is measured by our bank accounts, by the number of followers that we have, by the number of people that serve us, by position, by influence. And yet, Father, when you sent your Son into the world to save it, he didn't come in the form of a king that everybody else expected. He didn't come leading an army. He didn't come to make everyone serve him, but he came in the form of a servant. He emptied himself. He gave of himself. He took up the cross. He took up the towel. And he served. And he gave himself on our behalf. As we think about God, as we think about that, God, we ask you to prick our hearts if needed, to remind us that what you've called us to do isn't going to make sense to the rest of the world. That the greatness that you've called us to doesn't look like it does in the rest of the world, but it looks like service. It looks like love. It looks like taking up a towel and a basin and doing the lowliest job for those around us. Father, as we look at Jesus' example, we know that we're going to experience tough times. And when we do, God, we ask you to remind us of these things. We ask you to remind us that you have empowered us with the Spirit of Christ. That we can still do what's right, even when things are hard. We can still love, even when things are tough, because you have given us the Spirit of Christ, and you've empowered us to do that. So help us, God, as individuals, and then help us as a church to model this. Help us to do things differently. Help us to live in such a way that others will take notice that, that we have been with the Lord. Father, as we move forward, we, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that even though we sometimes miss the point, even though I sometimes miss the point, you're patient and you lovingly remind us over and over again. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, may that inspire us to go out and to do better. In Jesus' name, amen.